Well, with your Bibles in your hand, let us go right into the word of the Lord. Right into the word of the Lord. Those who are watching us online, we want to welcome you. And we have some announcements to share, but we'll do that at the end. Praise God. And just believe the Lord will have his way. The book of Ephesians chapter number two, verse six. Ephesians chapter two, verse six. And then we're going to look at Mark chapter four. I've been meditating on Mark chapter four. For the entire week, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to verse 41. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to verse 41. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. We read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 yet. Okay, let me get there. I'm actually going to invite us, if you don't mind, to just stand in the reading of God's word. With your iPad or iPhone or your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And the King James version of the Bible, the translation says, and he has raised us up together and made us. That's the word right there. He made us. Sometimes we don't know what's good for us. God has to just make us. (laughs) Ah, God. There's power in that word. Make us, Lord, into your image and your likeness. So he says he raised us up. There is so much power in those words right there, it represents the resurrection. When he says he raised us up. So there is, there is nothing that can hold you down when God wants to elevate you to a level of promotion. If death, come on, cannot hold you, there is nothing on this world. There is no power, there's no principalities, there is no spirit in the heavenly realms that can hold you back from all that God has for you if we have faith to believe that. And he says there he has made us, and I want to park it on, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Now, that statement, please be seated, is a polite way of me saying to you, change your posture. It is it is the polite way of saying, just sit down. When you add the word please to it, you are being polite. You are asking permission for you to change your posture. And so I want to encourage us as we're looking at this, this new sermon series, that we're looking at three aspects of God. We're looking at the aspect of first, what it means to be seated. Then we're going to look at what it really means to be sleeping. Now, it's interesting that that most of the time when you are seated is when you then fall asleep. And so we're going to take a look at how spiritually we need to be seated so that we can understand what it truly means to be sleeping, to be sleeping. And then finally, we're going to take a look at the storms that are affecting us, the storms that are coming at us, and how God wants us to be victorious in every storm that we find ourselves in. But when I said to you, please be seated, what you did by obeying that command, or by obeying that request, or by saying, yes, I will change my posture from one of standing to one of seating, is that you prepared yourself to be fed by the word of God. Let me break it down for you. In John chapter 6, the Bible talks about that that Jesus was teaching. And if we look in the word of God, if we look in the Bible, the number one reason why people gathered was because of the word of God. 
They didn't gather because of entertainment. They didn't gather because of performance. They didn't gather because everything, you know, everything else that is available for them to gather. They came together because they wanted to hear the word of God. And because they came together, the Bible says that they were hungry. And so Jesus now turns to his disciples and he says, how are we going to feed the people? And he knew exactly what he was going to do, the Bible says. That ought to bring some assurance in you and in myself that Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. For he was the one that created the hunger in the first place. He was teaching the word of God. I'm here to tell you, when you eat from the word of God, you will never be satisfied. You want more. Come on, somebody. I don't mean you won't feel complete or that God is lacking anything in your life. I'm saying you love the word so much that you want to have more of it. Megan, we went to Outback restaurant. Someone blessed us, I think, from here. Was it or work? I don't know. Someone blessed us with a with a gift card. And so we went to Outback and it was a date night and we went out and, and, um, so I said, well, let's, let's go and have it. And, and I'm the pickiest eater on the planet. I mean, I'm so picky. The chef is probably like, oh my gosh, who is out there? And we went to Outback and, uh, I ordered my food and it came and it was nice and hot just the way I like it. And I'm eating my meal and I'm telling you, man, I am. I am, I'm ashamed to say this, but I was making love to that. I mean, it was so good. I mean, I was, I was, I, it was good. A man was like, what's up with you? I'm like, this food is absolutely so good. I mean, I cleared the plate off. I mean, you know, when it's good and you take the last piece of meat, and you just, probably not the best thing to say when we're fasting, right? But I'm telling you, I was just, I was clearing the plate off and I said, mm, and I said, compliments to the chef. And I left a big tip because it was so good. I wanted more. Now, that only satisfied my physical need because hours after that, I got hungry again, right? And, and I'm nervous if I go back and I get the same quality of meal that I got the first time. So I have an expectation of outback that every time I go to eat, I'm going to get the meal the same way it was cooked before. And how much have ever did that? We went and we got there and we were disappointed. It just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same cook. It just wasn't the same atmosphere. It was like, ah, oh, man, I'm disappointed. But I'm going to tell you that when you change your posture and you're seated, when Jesus Christ is about to deliver the meal, it will be the same quality. Come on. Because God has never changed. And I'm here to tell you that he wants you to eat because he wants to give you more. 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 How many of you want more? Come on, do you want more of God's word? Jeremiah said, I ate your word and it was scrumptious. It was amazing. I ate your word and I was satisfied. We got to get to a place where the only reason why we gather is because we want more of the word of God. The only reason why you change your posture is because God's about to feed you. And it's interesting that when we look at the text and here's the key part you don't want to miss. He said, have the people sit down. And he took what I call the first happy meal. Come on, right? He, he took the kids' lunch and says, come on, give me the happy meal. And he looks up to heaven now. And he says, Father, the people are in a position now for me to feed them. And he multiplies the food. And the only ones who ate were the people who were seated. If you're not seated, you're going to miss the meal. That can change your life. And God is saying to his church, you have to be seated in my word. Someone say, let God. Let God. So now we go to Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, he, he, the evangelist, John Mark, John being his Greek name and, and Mark being his Roman name. John Mark, who is John Mark? John Mark is important because we first hear about him in the scripture where there was an all-night prayer meeting taking place at his mother's house. That Peter was locked up in prison and the Bible says the church prayed. The church went into prayer mode because somebody was locked up. 
And if the church, if the church will continue this attitude and this mindset of being a place of prayer, things that are locked up, come on, will be free because of the power of the power of prayer that is coming from the church. Prayer is the one thing I'm telling you. Prayer is the one thing that when we call people together for prayer and we sit and we start to pray, that all of a sudden we get sleepy. And Jesus says to the disciples, can't you just tarry for one hour? Just one hour. Someone said, let God. So prayer is vital because out of this prayer meeting, we see John Mark. So in other words, this prayer meeting exposed the young people to a life of prayer. That John Mark now was able to pen his gospel account of Jesus Christ. And so John doesn't start the genealogy like Luke. And he doesn't start it like Matthew. And he doesn't talk about just the eternal word like John. Mark begins and declares that Jesus is the servant and he wants to show us his humanity. He wants to let you know that Jesus and we can relate to Jesus because he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And it's important that we understand that to look at what we have here being recorded. And it says in verse 35, and the same day when evening was come, he said to him, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. My assignment this morning is not to review or to repeat to bore you from last week's message. What my assignment is today is to let us know, to let you and I know that what God wants us to understand is that we must be seated in relationship so we can live in fellowship. We have to be seated in relationship with Jesus Christ as as, as the most important relationship, as the primary relationship, so that we then can live in fellowship with each other. There's a lot of things I'm not good at. Um, basketball, I'm really good at. I'm really good at basketball. That's my sport. Amen. Come on. Come on. That's what attracted Megan to me. Come on. It was my, my basketball skills. She's like, yay. You go with your bad self. All right. And so there's a lot of things I'm not, I'm not great at. And that's okay. But one of the things that I know that God has gifted me to do is to build relationships. It's to build relationships. If there's ever a skill that you want to have, it is the skill, it is the gift of how to build relationship. Because everything about Christ is about relationship building. Everything is about relationship building. Stay with me. And so I oftentimes would ask this question. I said, God, how can it be? That people could come to know you as Lord and Savior and have a relationship with you, but yet don't have a relationship with each other. So I would ask that question and I would say, God, what is it? And I believe today he wants us to understand how vital it is for this nation and the nation of the world to see that not only are we seated in Christ in that relationship, but we understand what true fellowship really is. The miracles that we want to see that we will see in this ministry is going to come because of us being seated in Christ and also because our fellowship one with another. Our fight is no longer this way. Because Christ has already been, uh, he was, he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised, he's seated at the right of the Father. The fight now is going to be this way. Stay with me, stay with me. Because here it is, right? Jesus says, let's get to the other side. And so he gets into the boat. What was on the other side of the river, of the sea? What was on the other side of the sea was an individual 
who was possessed, who lived in, in, in the tomb, who lived in the place where people were buried, who was cutting himself. This person was hopeless. This person was helpless. This person needed the freedom and the peace that can only come with a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible said they tried to chain him and the chains couldn't hold him. That he was so much in a sense of hopelessness. And here is Jesus saying now, after I fed you with the word of God, he says, come on church, we have an assignment, we have a place to go, we've got to get to the other side because there we also have to build relationship. With the people who nobody wants, the people that people have cast away. He said, no, the church is going to be the place where they can understand what it means to be in fellowship one with another. Someone say, let God. And so here it is now. I said, God, help me to understand this. And he says, Rowan, watch this. It's Ephesians 2 verse 6. He says, they have to understand that what I did in saving them, what I did in saving humanity and saving you and I was I raised you up. Don't minimize that. He raised us up over every single circumstance, over every single thing that can hold us down. The enemy could not prevent the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He couldn't prevent the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ being buried in the ground. That God now says, get up. And all of a sudden now, he came up in the spirit of God. And it's the resurrection power. And the apostle Paul says that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. But I may know in the power of his resurrection. When you are seated in Christ, you have the power of the resurrection living inside of you. It means you are indestructible, my God. The power of the resurrection that lives inside of us. And I don't know about you, but I want to get together with people who live in the power of the resurrection, who is, whose life, their mindset, their attitude, everything has changed. They no longer live in this dead world. They live alive to Christ. And everything they do is about the power of the resurrection. Come on, somebody. Because if you and I agree together and we walk in the power of the resurrection, when we come together in agreement, things have to raise, things have to come to life. Someone say, let God. Let God. So, we have to understand. He says, he raised us up. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, he begins and says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians 3, he says, now that you've been raised up with Christ, he says, set your mind, set your affections on things above. Why? Because it's important then that we get a heavenly perspective of what's going on. So here it is now that we as believers, right, we will eventually reign and rule with Christ. But right now we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not with him yet, but we're in Christ Jesus. And because of that position, our perspective needs to change. We need to see things from God's perspective. And that's why the word of God is so important. You cannot see from God's perspective without seeing it through his word. And so because I want to see things from God's perspective, my finance, I got to see from God's perspective. The health of my body, I got to see from God's perspective. Why? Because the enemy's perspective is going to be death. The enemy's perspective is going to be that you're going to die. The enemy's perspective is that you get this one little pain in your body and your mind goes all over and goes all crazy. And then you start to come in fellowship with that. Come on. We come in fellowship with that word. And what we do, we're empowering the enemy and we're making them have authority in our lives. But what God is saying, no, when you read the word of God, it says, let God be true. And every other man, a liar. Someone said, let God. Let God. God. Is a powerful statement. And so here it is that he now he looks and, and, and he's saying that he raised us up. And he's saying, I made you sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So here's what we have to do then. We have to stay seated in Christ. The storms that come 
in our lives, the objective and the goal is for us to leave our seat. That's what the objective is for us to leave our seat, our position. So in Luke 22, verse 55, I said this last Sunday, I said the great example of this word and the great illustration of it is when Peter, after they captured Jesus Christ and they were to crucify him, Peter now denies that relationship and he now sits amongst the soldiers who are warming himself by the fire and he now identifies with this relationship as opposed to that relationship. That's why in Romans chapter 10, watch this now, he says that when you accept Jesus Christ, you're no longer ashamed to say, I'm a believer. Because I'm willing to sit in a position and let everyone know in the public that I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. In other words, when you're at work and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to take a praise break. When you're at a place where things get chaotic, come on, you're going to start saying, I change the atmosphere because I'm seated in Jesus Christ and you're going to change the atmosphere. You are not going to conform to the atmosphere and to the culture of that environment. Right? And so I'm not going to be seated. I'm not going to warm myself here and identify and become one in mind, right, with the enemy. Nope, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay seated in Christ. Because to handle the storms, I have to make sure I remain seated because the enemy's objective is this, is to get you out and to remove you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's his goal. So he goes after your marriage, not because he wants to destroy your marriage, he wants the relationship of God because God in your marriage is what makes it work. He wants to go after every relationship because he knows if I can remove you from your foundation in Christ, no, your relationship, your other relationship cannot stand. It's your relationship in Jesus Christ that's vital, right, to your relationship with everybody else. And so that's what he wants to do. Because when a storm comes, and we read it right here, when the storm came, they questioned the relationship that God had for them. Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? The first thing was they questioned the relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is there, and it's interesting because the, when the Bible says they, they, they woke him up, he was sleeping, they woke him up. Get this, they woke him up, so he's like this. But the key was he didn't rebuke the wind until he got up. So, so, so watch this now, because that word means he, he, he awoke or, or he raised up represents that resur- oh God, it represents that resurrection. So he's, he, he's sleeping because he sees from heavenly perspective, but, but they say, hey master, don't, don't you care that we perish? He goes, what? And then he gets up. He, he, he gets up. And then he's now in a resurrection position. And he now goes and rebukes the wind and speaks to the waves. He rebukes the wind and he speaks to the waves. He rebukes the wind and he speaks to the wave. He's giving the church how we're going to make it to the other side. We have to rebuke some things. Come on, somebody. we got to rebuke some things off of our life and speak to certain things. We have to rebuke some things while we're seated. Come on. Don't leave your posture being seated. You have to be sit right where you are and you have to rebuke the wind and you got to speak to the wave. You have to rebuke the wind. Someone said, let God. You have to speak God's word. Come on, somebody. You have to speak God's word to the contrary wind in your life and then look at the wave and says be still my goodness come on come on it's time that the church walks in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ I'm looking for a church God is raising up a church that knows how to rebuke things and speak to things oh I'm going to just park it right there for a minute I'm going to park it right there for a minute. Come on. We got to rebuke the devourer. Come on, somebody. And speak to our harvest to rise up. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. We got to rebuke everything that's contrary to God's word that says you can't make it. You got to rebuke the lies of the enemy and speak to those things that are causing all this chaos in your life. But you got to do it where you're seated in that position in Jesus Christ. That's the way we have to be. This we have to be. So here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. From this day forward, from this day forward, we walk in this world and we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We let everybody know that I'm seated in Jesus Christ and that is where my allegiance is with. 
that I will not be convinced or I will not be persuaded any other way. I've got to get this cemented in my mind that I'm seated in Jesus Christ. And I stay right there. I stay right there. And so why do we gather on Sundays? Why do we gather whenever the church is called to come together? Because I want more word that confirms where I'm seated. I want the word of God to remind me, be seated, be seated, right? Right in Christ Jesus. Right in Christ Jesus. Someone say, let God. The Bible says in Psalms 1 verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor seated in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, their delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in the law, they meditate day and night. Right? That, that's it. So they're not seated with the scornful. They're not seated with those individuals that have a contrary opinion, a contrary mind to what the word of God is saying. They're blessed. They're blessed. They're blessed. They are blessed. They are blessed. Somebody shout out, I am blessed. Now, you got to tell yourself that when you're looking at your checkbook, when you're thinking what's going on, you got to tell yourself, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And that's that battle because what you see in the natural, because you're from the supernatural, you have to see it from God's perspective. No, you're blessed because you're seated in Christ Jesus. Now, I was talking to a, to a friend and I said, he goes, man, how you doing? I said, man, I'm in, I'm in a storm. I'm in a storm. And he said, okay. And he said this to me. He said, first you have to identify the type of storm you're in. Is the storm inside or is the storm outside? I said, ooh, I never thought about that. He says, the storm rages on the inside or is the storm raging on the outside? He said, the second thing is this. You have to understand, is it natural or is it spiritual? Because when they left, when Jesus says, let's get the other side, these were experienced fishermen. And when they looked, and especially the Sea of Galilee, and, and especially how it is and the way it's shaped, is that it's so unpredictable. It is so unpredictable. One moment, it can look like it's smooth sailing. And then the moment you set sail, all of a sudden, this 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 wind and, and, and the weather just changes all of a sudden. And so here it is, was that they looked naturally, everything was great, and they set off, and all of a sudden, there was a spiritual thing that just took place. The enemy trying to prevent them from getting to their destiny. So the second thing about a storm, and if you're writing this down, you need to write, number one, is the storm inside or is the storm outside? The second thing, is it a natural uh, storm or is it a spiritual storm, right? And each one, you're seated right here in the middle, and you're seated. And the third thing he said was this, is there a work for you to do or is there something you have to get in order? And I'm like, ooh, that was good. That was good. So if you're facing a storm today, and I told him, I said, I'm going through a storm. He said that. And I looked at Magon and I said, honey, we got on both sides. It's inside and outside. It's spiritual and natural. And here's what he said. He said, because, because if it's natural, right, you can use wisdom then to speak to it. But if it's spiritual, watch this now. You have to use faith to get through it. And you can't use natural reason for a spiritual storm. You got to use faith, right? You have to use faith. And so here's what I want you to understand. The same faith that you have to believe that Jesus Christ saved you from hell, that the resurrection caused you now to no longer be positioned or to be predestined for hell, but now your position and your place is in heaven. It's the same faith that you use for that to believe God can heal your body, that God can do miracles in your life, that God can do everything and all things that you ask of God. Come on, I've got to get the church to shift their thinking now. And here's what he says, says, Rowan, you are going through a level of faith that you've never been before. You're going through a place, and here's what he said. This was really cool. He said, because here's what happens, right? Here's what happens. If you don't kill the enemies of your past, you will step into a new season, but you won't feel it because you're still fighting your past. Oh, God. Ooh, that's good for America right there. Come on. Come on. Because what happens is God is bringing you to a new season, but because you're living in your past, when you get into the new season, you forget you're in a new season because you're still fighting things of the past. 
And he says, and where God has taken this church and he's assigned you as the, as the pastor to lead the church, you're going to step into a place where you've never been before. He says, don't be afraid. Take the risk. He said, take the risk. Don't be afraid. Take the risk where God has taken you. Because it says, it says, it's not worth anything if it's not worth fighting for. So your promise that God has given unto you. Listen to me. Oh, gosh. Romans 8, Romans 10, excuse me, 8 says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. So throughout this entire building, now, if you believe that, McKenna, you believe that, that he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised, someone said, let God, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are saved. Spiritually, instantaneously, the moment you do that, you are saved, secure in the presence of God. So why is it then that when it comes to things, that we all of a sudden lose faith. That we have faith to believe that. But when it comes to other things, we don't have faith to believe God can do that. And that's because we know how to be seated in relationship, but we don't know how to live in fellowship. You have to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) For as the Holy Spirit is the one that raised you from the dead. Come on. So we have to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We think fellowship is because we're all gathered here together. Come on. We can come here for many different reasons. But why we come is we say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? We want to be in fellowship with what you're doing. Because you're the one that raised me from the... You're the one that raised us from the dead. So if the Holy Spirit then is fellowshipping with us, you tell us what God is doing. We come in agreement with that. And we can do it. Mustard seed faith. That's all it takes. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Okay, I come in fellowship with it. It's not Holy Spirit, I want to do this, so come fellowship with me. It's no, 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 no. I'm seated in that relationship with Jesus Christ. You raised me, God. You raised me from the dead by the Spirit of Christ. By the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And when we come together then in fellowship, the first question we ask is this. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? That's why church, that becomes predictable. Come on, somebody. We are not being aware of the Holy Spirit because you can't predict. He'll do things and like, I'm not going by your agenda. I got things that I need. There's someone here that needs a miracle and I'm going to stop the entire service. I'm going to change your entire program just so that one individual can encounter me. Yes, God will do that. Someone said, let God. One person can wake up and say, God, I need you and come into fellowship with the body of Christ. And God says, stop the program. Stop the performance. What they need is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, that's why, that's why every single one of us, every single one of us can leave this gathering and all receive a word from God. Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. Someone said, let God. So here's our language now as I launch you out with this. Here's how we're going to live in fellowship. Excuse me, with the Holy Spirit. Here's how we're going to do it. This is a commitment you're going to make. So first of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to be seated in that relationship. This won't work unless you're seated in that relationship. It, it won't work. You can try everything else. And from my experience, 20-something years of walking with Jesus, it doesn't work if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. It really doesn't. I don't know how people are surviving in the world. I don't know how people are watching the news. I don't know how they're literally in their right mind, given all that's going on without them knowing Jesus Christ. I don't know how they're doing it. I absolutely have no clue. I, I really don't. I know I couldn't live without Jesus. Okay. And so here it is now. So here's what's going to happen. Because, and let me read this to you. This is really cool. This is really, really cool. Let me read this to you. So, so true and authentic Christian fellowship, koinonia, the Greek word, one with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a church attractive, is because it's one with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leading. The Holy Spirit is the one that's guiding 
the church. And so true koinonia, communion, community, fellowship, all means the same thing. True and authentic Christian fellowship is first a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's how we're not going to let God. So when you come in and someone says, hey, what's going to happen? We're going to let God. Hey, what do you got planned for today? We're just going to let God. So do you got a pro? We're just going to let God. In our marriage, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to let God. In our relationship, we're, just, we're going to let God. In every relationship, we're going to let God. Right, Richard? So we're parenting. Hey, we're going to let God. That's how we're going to do it. Okay? So to enjoy this, this living in fellowship and living in this authentic fellowship and one with the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit says. It says, let God. Let God. So the first thing is this, and I've been teaching this on Wednesdays. First thing is this, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first thing, L, in, in let God, the first thing is this. You're going to love deeply. Love deeply. Not just love, some surface love. You're going to go deep. Ooh. You're going to go deep in the love of God. Why? Because God loved you. He didn't just love you with this, with this friendship type of love. He loved you with the agape love. So if people walk in, listen, he walked in and says, it's unconditional, this love he has for you. And the people out there says, there's no way I could be loving God. He says, no, I love you deeply. And when you experience the depth of God's love, you then reciprocate that back to other people. It says, no, I have to love deeply. Why? Because God loved me. That's what the Holy Spirit's telling me. When the enemy tries, says, you're unlovable. The Holy Spirit says, no, you're loved by God. In love, he predestinated you. We can just chew on that for just a minute. Why? God wants to, because he loves you. God wants to meet your finances because he loves you. God wants you to prosper. Why? Because he loves you. God wants you to walk in wholeness. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't want to see destruction come to your life. God loves you. Yes, he does. Come on. He loves you. When everybody else can forsake you, God says, no, I love you. So when you open, he might say, let God, the first thing you say is that this love that God has for me, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me to love people deeply. Because you love me. You love me. How many people we try to tell the word of God and they're like, no, there's no way that God can love me. I've done too many things. There's, there's no way that God can love me. And he said, yes, I love you. I love you deeply. In Luke chapter 5, the Bible says that Jesus was on the shore, and then he said to the, to, to uh, Peter, he says, push out into the deep. He says, this, this relationship has to go deeper, and he says, push out in, in, into the deep. First, you have, to, you have to love deeply. The second thing, and here's what it is, you cannot do this second part, right, unless you've done the first part. Okay, the second part is you have to extend grace. You have to extend grace. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit now is saying, if you fellowship with me, you have to extend grace. Why? Because the same grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we just talked about it, by grace are you saved. So the same grace that saved you now, you're going to extend that same grace to other people. Now that can't happen unless you're loving deeply. It can't happen. There's no way. There's no way. Unless you are loving people Deeply, you can't extend the grace that was extended to you. I'm telling you, this is freedom right here. This is freedom. This is freedom. It's going to be five more minutes. But I'm telling you, when you walk in, people says, hey, let God. That's what we're saying. That when we let God in you, we're saying, hey, God loves deeply, so I'm going to love deeply. And also, I'm going to extend the grace. E, I'm going to extend the grace that was extended to me. Right? And the next thing is this. And here's, here's the one. Here's the one. Now, here's the one. Another word, watch this now. When you do both of those things, here's the thing now. You have to trust. You have to trust God. You have to trust God. So that's when you say, let, is when you love deeply, you extend the same grace, and you trust God. Okay, what am I trusting God to do? Here's what I'm trusting God. I'm trusting that God, ready G, is at work. That God is at work in your life. 
So picture with me. Watch this. Watch this. So I love deeply. Right, look at it. So I love deeply. And it hurts to love deeply. I mean, if it doesn't hurt, you're not loving deeply. It's going to hurt when you love deeply. And the only way you're going to survive is because you know that God loves you deeply. He loved you deeply. So now you're going to extend the grace. And some people say, man, I don't know if they're worthy of grace because I want to get revenge. I want to see what, da, 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 and all this excuse. No, I'm going to extend the grace. I'm going to trust God at his word. That what I have done to you, that it will not come back to me. Come on. But that it's going to do the work that it's supposed to do in your life. So I'm going to trust now that God is at work. Now, in Mark chapter 4, we see how God was at work, right? He said, let's get to the other side. And the storm comes right in the middle when they're about to get to their destiny. And how did God come to work? He got, he says, hey, hey, he rebuked the wind and he spoke to the wave. That God was at work. And you have to believe that God is at work in your life. Come on, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm, I'm wearing my nice tie today. Look, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. God is at work in your life. What work is he doing in your life? Because that'll give you some praise. You can tell when God's at work in someone's life. Because you can't tell them to shut their mouth. Come on. When they know that God's at work in someone's life, they walk in with a hallelujah. They walk in with a thank you, Jesus. They walk in with, Lord God, you're so good. When God is at work in your life, you're going to say, you are a good, good father. Come on, somebody. Before that song was even sung, before it was even written, it was already revealed that God is a good God. If God is at work in your life, open up your mouth and give God some praise that God is at work in your life. I will make it to the other side. Woo-hoo, come on. Come on. God is at work. God is at work. And finally, here it is. Last two is this. Because God is at work, you believe that. Every, now, this is where we need the prophetic to come in now. Every time you walk, you come in and you gather with the Holy Spirit, you look for opportunity for God to minister. You look for opportunities for God to minister. You look and you know that you have a word from God. Holy Spirit speaking to you. Now you look for the opportunity because someone might be in your row right beside you. Come on. Someone might be at the front praying. And you now with boldness because you know you love God deeply. You have the boldness because you know grace has been extended. Come on. And when there's grace as Barnabas came and he saw in Antioch, he saw the grace of God. He says, oh my goodness, God's grace is here. You're living under the influence of God's grace. You now trust God that what you're about to say is going to transform that individual because you're going to speak God's word. I know. No, this is a good word. Thank you, Jesus. Because everything inside of me is saying, God, I want opportunities to see you at work. And get into that boat and get into the other side. They saw God at work that when this demonic person saw Jesus came and bowed down and worshiped. Come on. Come on. See? See? The reason why we, the reason why we move about is because we don't really believe God's at work. Because they tell you that when there's construction and men are at work, you gotta slow down. You can't drive the speed you're going. You gotta slow down because there's work being done. And we have to slow down and watch God because we're missing opportunities because we're not slowing down because God's at work. And we're missing what God is doing because we're not loving deeply. We're not extending the same grace. We're not trusting God. And we're missing opportunities. Come on. And the enemy now is raising his ugly head because there's opportunities that we're missing. Someone say, I want an opportunity to see God work. Finally, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. See, Peter preached. Um, I remember my, my brother-in-law told me about this preaching course he took. He said, he said, um, the pastor asked, the, the teacher asked him, um, name some of the great orators, some of the great preachers of our day. You know, and they said, uh, uh, T.D. Jakes and uh, Nagoya, and they were given names of pastors who have major major church. And he said, how come none of you mentioned Peter in the Bible? I mean, really, his sermon, just 5,000 people got saved in one day. 
I think that's a pretty good sermon right there. And so oftentimes we judge our communication ability based on the style of the orator and not in the spirit of living God and what he's doing. I, I say all that just to say this, that there is no reason why all the churches in your city shouldn't be filled with people who are coming to Jesus Christ. There's no reason. There's no reason. And here's why. Here's why. Because when we get to a place where we say, let God, people are going to walk in and they're going to say, oh my goodness, this is God. Look what God is doing. The demoniac on the other side fell at the feet. And he said, Jesus, bow. The demon had to bow at Jesus. And when he got delivered, when he was set free, he says, can I please come with you? Can I please travel with you? Jesus says, no, go back. Take this opportunity to go back and tell people. Come on, go back and be a testimony. Go back and tell people what God has done for you. And he's here to tell us that when we have been delivered and set free, we must take this opportunity to go back and let people know God is at work. God is at work. And here's, here's the vision. Here's what we're going to do. D, the last letter. Because we are going to do life together. We are going to do life together. Oh, God. Oh, God. Heavenly Father, I depend totally on your Holy Spirit. All week, I've been asking, Father, what do you want me to tell your people? And what I believe you have told me to tell them is for them to say, let God. Let God. Let him love you deeply right here, right here. With every head bowed, every every eyes closed. If you've never experienced the depth of God's love, I need you to come right now. And you need to experience the love of God. You need to be seated in the relationship with Jesus Christ and live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Come on. If you have never experienced the depth of God's love, if you've ever questioned God's love for you, I want you to run from your seat right now. And I want you to come to this altar. We've got a few moments left. But you need to know that I need to encounter the love of God. If there's anyone here under the sound of my voice, you need to come right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come against everything that will try to hold your people back from let God if that's you right here and you've never experienced the depth of God's love come this morning teenagers God's love is pure it's I need to experience God's love. Come on. Okay. All right. The second thing is now is, is you, are you here and you need to trust God? If that's you and he says, Pastor, I need to trust God. I want you then to come. That you know that God loves you deeply. And he's extended his grace to you. But if you're says, well, I need to trust God that he can work this thing out. I need for you to come. Come. If that's you. God, I need to trust you. I need to trust that you're going to work this out. There it is. There it is. Come on, what you're saying... Is I'm saying, let God, that's what you're saying. God, I know you love me deeply. And I know you've extended your grace to me because I really shouldn't be alive. Come on. 
There's people right now that God has saved your life naturally. And you ought to come to this altar and thank God for saving your life. And you want to say, let God. You can trust him. Trust him that he knows exactly what you need. Trust him that he already has the answer. Trust him. Trust him. Now here's the big one. This ought to get everybody to this altar. That you know that God is at work in your life. If you know that God is at work in your life, I want you to come. Let him finish the process. Let him finish the process. Come on, that's it. That's it, that's it. God, you are at work in my life. God, you're at work in my life. You're fixing things. You're causing to put things in order. You, there's things I need to do, God. Give me the strength and the wisdom to do what I have to do, God. But God, there's certain things that only you can do. Do the work in me, God. Oh, God, listen to me. I believe there's enough faith in you. We're going to start seeing miracles take place now. People are going to walk in this place and you're going to have healing in your hands. You're going to speak over things and people are going to, cancer is going to be gone from people's bodies. Hallelujah. People will be delivered, set free because you're saying, let God, God, you are working my life. Because I'm seated in relationship with you. Now, at the altar, what you have done in the heavens, what has just happened now is you're saying, God, I'm seated in relationship with you and I now have fellowship with my brother and my sister on my right and my left. Why? Because God, you love them deeply. And God, your grace has been extended to them just like you extended to me. And God, they're trusting like I'm trusting you. Oh God. And God, you are working their life. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Right where you are. Right where you are. I want you to go ahead and just worship him and magnify his name.